pray together. Let's pray. Uh, oh God, as always, we're praying for insight and understanding into who you are, who we are, and into these relationships that you're inviting us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to see uh, everybody here today. Uh, again, kids are downstairs having a great time with Children's Church. Uh, we, if you've been around Avenue for the last few years, you know we dedicate the first five weeks of the new year to just reflect on our purpose and our mission and our values as a, a community. And so today we're coming to not an end because that's a journey that continues throughout the year and throughout our time together as a community but uh, transition into a, a new time. Next week, we'll be looking specifically at some things that are happening in the community, our strategy to grow us as spiritual beings and so on. But today, we want to take a little time back up and say, you know, what is it that uh, Christians have believed about uh, who God is and what he's doing in the universe? And so we have uh, 13 readings from the Bible today for you. We have three readers in the house who are going to read through this narrative story together. And uh, you actually can go and participate in this together by going to avenhope.org, where we have all the readings listed. This is actually designed as a resource for you. So again, we can be reflective on what Christians have believed since Jesus came the first time. And so we're going to read through this narrative story together. So again, you can go to avenhope.org. There's a little button at the top that says about. If you click on that, and I would suggest that you, if you're online with us or you can do this right here on your smart device, click that about button, and then you'll see uh, a, a, a label that says the good news. And you click on that, and there are going to be the 13 readings with some explanation. And so we're going to just listen to these readings today. We're going to reflect a little bit on uh, the big picture of what God is doing in the world and uh, how we know what we believe we know. And so we're going to start uh, right off in Genesis chapter 1, and I think uh, Danny has our first uh, reading for us. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in God's own image, in the image of God, God created them. Male and female, he created them. Thank you, Danny. All right, so we get this uh, beautiful beginning of the story. Starts in the garden. God set things up. Somebody here. By the way, kids versus congregation is one of my favorite elements in the history. The long and storied history of kids versus congregation. The congregation is doing terrible. I think we haven't won once, so they are destroying us. Anyway, we got to... We got to get it together. Anyway, we heard that in the Garden of Eden, the place that God made for his newborn kids, God made this perfect spot, designed it for his kids so that they could grow. We also see in Genesis 1 the idea that God has always existed in community, three in one. Genesis 1 says, let us make these humans in our image. The implication is that God has never been alone. God has always existed in communities. The beautiful idea of three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so community, God is about community. God has kids. He makes a place for his kids in the garden. He puts them there with the intent that they're gonna be in healthy relationship with each other and with him. Unfortunately, there's more 
to this story. And so Sarah is going to read our second reading from Genesis. Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Thank you, Sarah. All right, so you have, again, very familiar story. Again, in the garden, uh, God had designed it for... Uh, the first humans to have perfect relation with him and with each other, but they decide to go their own way. And since that moment, we've had all kinds of chaos and confusion. We see immediately they have chaos and confusion among themselves, accusing each other. The accuser is there, by the way. The serpent is the, the great accuser, later described as the Satan, uh, the, the one who makes accusations. And so right off the bat, you have accusations, and we see our world has spiraled ever since into a place where there is accusations, and there's conflict, and there's chaos, and there's war, and there's strife, and there's racism, and there's sexism, and there's all of these terrible things, all going back to this uh, broken relationship. But fortunately, there is good news to come. In Genesis chapter 3, 15, Bible scholars call it the Proto-Evangelium in, in Latin, the first good news. And that's going to read that for us. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. All right, it's a little mysterious. God is speaking to the serpent and talking about what's to come to the serpent, and, but it's left there, but it gave the first uh, humans hope that God had a plan to restore things. So yes, there is brokenness in the world. Yes, chaos uh, started from that point forward, but there is hope that God has a plan to rectify things, to make things all right, to bring things back together and to heal these broken relationships, this broken relationship between the humans and God, between humans and each other, and between ourselves. We're conflicted with ourselves. It's all part of the Genesis 3 story and there's hope, though, that God is going to make things right. And so we jump in the story now from Genesis in the Hebrew Bible to the New Testament, where we read in the Gospel story in John chapter 3, 16, these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Maybe the most famous text in all the Bible, you know, the Super Bowl is coming up. I don't know if this guy still exists, but back in the early days when I was still watching football, there was a guy who would plant himself behind uh, the goal line with the sign, John 316. You remember that guy? Um, the, 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 the news channels, they were always trying to find a way to avoid him, but he somehow was pretty tricky about getting around and getting in the right place and making sure that his sign was prevalent in the stadium, and it was this, John chapter 3, 
verse 16, certainly or maybe one of the most famous texts in all of the Bible because it is articulating this good news that God has not given up on humans even though they gave up on him. God has not given up. He has a plan to restore things and make things anew. God loves the world. Maybe the greatest news the world will ever hear. There have been a lot of accusations about uh, God or the gods that uh, the gods don't really care about the world or God doesn't care about the world. John sets things straight. God loves the world. God loves the world and hasn't given up on the world. That's John chapter 3.16. So it's God's then intention that uh, Jesus would make a difference. John 3.16 says God loves the world, so he sent his son, and by his death, his son makes things right or starts the process of making all things right. And so Sarah is going to read to us again from John, John 12. John 12, 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So the implication is that when Jesus dies, that it's going to have an impact for people. In fact, it's going to be compelling. His death is going to be compelling, and it's going to draw people to himself, and therefore draw people to understand who God really is, that God is not a capricious God, that God is not an angry God. I've been spending a lot of time, just for fun, reading uh, myths. Uh, I just finished uh, The Odyssey. You remember that from uh, high school? So uh, there's a new translation, Emily Wilson, uh, ancient language expert at UPenn. She just released, uh, actually, she just released The Iliad. Uh, in 2017, she, re uh, she released a new translation, a fantastic translation of The Odyssey. And it's, that's actually has been really rewarding to go back and read that. I don't know if you've read that recently, but it's incredible. And her translation brings it alive. And as I'm reading, I'm saying, oh, I mean, there are so many connections to the New Testament and what's happening in the New Testament because, of course, the New Testament characters were weaned in the culture of the Greek myths. And in the Greek myths, the gods are capricious. They're worried about themselves. They're taking care of themselves. They're looking out for themselves. And so they're always kind of angry or annoyed at the humans. And the humans are getting in the way of their plans, and so they do things like send storms and, and do terrible things to them. And Odysseus has all of these challenges because God is upset or angry at him. The gospel story is different. God loves the world. God is not angry at the world. In fact, God made things so that they would be right. He had kids, put them in the garden. They chose to go their own way, but God doesn't give up. He's still working to make things right. And so we continue on in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, 51 to 54. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Jesus' death did something. Something changed in the universe when uh, Jesus died. And Matthew 27 is uh, explaining that, that something happened. In fact, Jesus' death gives life to people. 
in the first century, Jesus' death actually gave life to people who had died. There were people who were resurrected and they came out of their, their graves when Jesus was resurrected. And so Jesus' death and resurrection make a difference in the universe. This is the great hope that we all have that uh, when Jesus died, something happened, something changed in the universe. Now, We've read from the Hebrew Bible and we've read from the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now we want to transition to the letters of the New Testament. And the letters of the New Testament describe what the implications of what Jesus did for us mean for us. And so we now turn our attention to our next uh, reading. Danny has 1 Corinthians. It's from chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and, the last, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. All right, so this is the Apostle Paul writing now. He's starting to explain, again, the implications of what happened when Jesus died, rested, and rose again. He's making the case that something transformational uh, happened and that we have hope for the future, that we can go forward with confidence that Jesus' death means something uh, for us. And so Sarah now is going to read Colossians, again, from the Apostle Paul. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So when, when, when we chose to go our own way as humans, Adam and Eve did it, and we continue to do it to this day. Uh, God didn't give up on us. In fact, God said, hey, it's okay. We're going to take all of that guilt and, and, and all of that shame, and we're going to nail it to the cross. That's what uh, the Apostle Paul says. So that as we confess faith in Jesus, we have hope for a future that we don't have to live with the implications eternally of that guilt and that uh, shame. All right, Annette is going to read uh, Romans 10. Romans 10, 9 to 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So practically, there may be no more uh, profound passage than Romans chapter 10. Uh, it's a very practical passage. Again, since the beginning almost of, of time, or certainly since uh, the first humans chose to go their own way, we've been trying to fix things on our own, to make up for the brokenness. And so we've figured out all kinds of ways to do that, and often it involves us uh, doing penance somehow or 
trying to make up by, by doing good things or attending worship gatherings or you know, serving people, all nice things and wonderful things, but the motive is often about fixing things ourselves. And, uh, and then the gospel comes and says, hey, unfortunately, you can't fix things yourself. There is nothing that you can do that's going to fix the brokenness that is a part of this relationship, this broken relationship be between God, between ourselves, and between each other. We're not going to do it on our own. But Romans comes and says, you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to do it on your own. If you confess and you believe, then you have hope for the future. It's not rooted in your work or your action or your good deeds. If you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you will be saved. I mean, this is the greatest news you're ever going to hear. For those of us, some of us have grown up in Christian circles where we've been told that you have to be a, a good boy or a good girl as we're a little, you know, downstairs in the Sabbath school. If you be good, be nice, do what your parents tell you, then everything is going to be okay. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you confess and you believe you are in, you are accepted, the relationship can be healed. And it makes sense, by the way. God is a God of consent. He doesn't force himself into a relationship with us. He invites us into a relationship, a believing relationship. So he's not going to make us be in relationship with him. He's not going to make us be in healthy relationship with each other. He invites us. So if we confess and if we believe, we can be healed. This is the great good news. It contradicts everything else that we've heard in every philosophical system since the beginning of that fall, way back. We don't have to do it through our works. Confess and believe. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's great news. So God has promised that Jesus has accomplished it for us, and as we put our hope and faith in him, we have hope for a new future. And so we read these words in Revelation chapter 21. Danny has this. These are verses 2 through 4. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain, no more death or mourning or crying. For the old order of things has passed away. So Danny just read from uh, the book of Revelation. By the way, it's not Revelations. I always just love to say it. It's not Revelations. It's not a, a bunch of different Revelations. It's one Revelation. And the Revelation is of Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not about a bunch of mysterious things that we find out. It's a revelation of Jesus, a revelation of who God is. And so the book of Revelation, uh, one of Jesus' uh, disciples who was with him day in and day out for three and a half years, he is marooned on an island. And on an island, as he's marooned, he gets this vision, and the vision is of the world to come. When things are made new and there's no more death and there is no more crying and there is no more pain, it's a message of good news about what's to happen in the future. But there's better news than just good news about what's to happen in the future. As we confess faith in the Lord Jesus, we are told that not only 
Is there something that we can look forward to in the future? For, for John, it was the distant future because he lived over 1,900 years ago. There is good news in the gospel story and the good news story for us today. Because as we receive this new relationship, as we confess faith, God is able to start doing transforming work in us. So we, in a way, start to be resurrected right here and right now. When you confess faith in the Lord Jesus, you get resurrection in your heart right now. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. That is going to be fully revealed when Jesus comes again. But right now, we can start to experience resurrection life. This is the good news. It's not just something for the future. It's something for today. 2 Corinthians continues. Sarah's going to read chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And this work of reconciliation and restoration is not dependent on any human work. This is not something you do. You are not part of the reconciliation process. You don't make it happen. This is God's work. And this is articulated in Ephesians chapter 2 as read by Annette. Chapters 4 to 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly, heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The great Christian uh, reformer Martin Luther uh, who was a monk and was absolutely obsessed with earning his own uh, salvation, uh, he, in, in his early days, in his Bible study, he found a Bible in the back of the library that was chained to the wall. It was the only way he could read it. And he went back there and he started reading. And he was tormented by this idea that he could never be good enough to feel like he had done enough to earn his rescue, his salvation. And he got, to, he got to Ephesians chapter 2, and he read these words like, like we may read these words, that it is by grace that you've been healed and saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. You go about your whole life trying to fix yourself and get it all together, and you never feel like everything is right and where it should be. And that's because we can't fix ourselves. That is the bad news that precedes the good news. The good news is God has done it for us. It is by grace that you've been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork designed to do good works, 
but not good works that save us, that rescue us. God has done that good work. This is the great news that Martin Luther learned back in 1505 and that we have the opportunity to learn as well today as we embrace this good news and confess faith in the Lord Jesus. Now we are left with one last Bible text. We've gone through 12 and we're also left with one question and that is, okay, this is great. I can be in the kingdom and have that transformation experience in my, in my life now, but when is God going to fix things and make everything right? Because it seems like it is taking too long. Doesn't it seem like it's taking a long time? I mean, Jesus is 2,000 years ago, roughly, right? And, and war and chaos and, 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 and all the kinds of terrible things have continued. This year's been a terrible year. The last 12 months, we have war raging in Ukraine and Gaza. The world is in a miserable state. What is happening? And that brings us to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. See, God knew he had to address this question because people have been saying since Jesus originally said, I'm going to come back, he's being taken too long. He's slow. Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to be lost. The implication is that God loves the world so much that he is not going to shut things down until everyone who has the opportunity to embrace his work is able to embrace his work. He doesn't want to shut things down. He, he has kids that he doesn't want to see lost, and so he is waiting. He's not slow. He's patient. Not slow, patient. Wanting everyone to come to repentance. This is great news. This is the gospel news. A God who loves his kids so much that he's going to do everything possible and has done everything possible so that we using our own consent, can exist in relationship with him and be confident that his work is good enough for us today. So I don't know what you're going through or where you are. I don't know what you learned in your Sabbath school or, or if you didn't go to Sabbath school, what your faith situation is today. Maybe you, are, you, are, you are, have been trying to fix yourself on your own. We've all tried that. Maybe that's where you are today and you're disgruntled at yourself and you feel like you can't get it together. If that's where you are today, this is good news for you. God has done what we cannot do and all we have to do is confess faith in the Lord Jesus and God starts working in our heart to make us a new creation. May God do this in your heart today as we sing together. Amen.